This morning we are invited to hear the voice of God through the words that he gave to Isaiah as he called Isaiah to go and to preach to a people who actually love to get together and worship God at this time. And so this is God's encounter with those people. Let's be standing, please, as we hear from Isaiah, what we call Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 1. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? God's answer. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. May God bless the reading of his word. I know it hasn't been long ago that I mentioned this to you, but just in case you've forgotten, I want you to remember that I play a pretty mean game of racquetball. And it's something I really enjoy doing. As time goes by and I lose the ability to do certain other things, I've sort of hung on to that one somewhat, enough to uh, certainly not embarrass myself. And what I really enjoy doing is, is challenging younger guys to games because I'll walk up to someone that's got a racket ball, a, a racket at the club or someone we're talking about it, and I'll say, well, let's go play. And I can just see it on their faces. They look at me like, you're old. <laughs> and then if they know I'm a preacher, you know, preachers can't do anything like that. And I love collecting these guys sort of as trophies, you know, because they think it's not going to be much of a game, and it usually isn't much of a game. 
Now, Doug is younger than I am, and, and we're, we play pretty even, but I never miss the opportunity when I do beat him to remind him that I am twice as old as he is. One time he mentioned to me that after he had beaten me that I had, or I beat him, and he said, well, one day I'm going to humiliate you. And I said, no, you'd have to be 120 years old to humiliate me like that. Well, anyway, the reason I bring all this up is, besides the fact that I like to brag, but also is that there have been occasions where the tables have been turned. I have a friend named John Rasco, and I don't think John would mind me mentioning this, but I've mentioned his dad, Edwin Rasco, a lot. Edwin was a great man of God, and John is too. Edwin uh, passed away here just a few years ago at about the age of 96 and was just a beacon in the church in East Texas. But John is his son, and John is a few years older than I am, and John is not in the best of physical shape. I mean, he's not bad, but he's kind of a little round and, and doesn't do a lot of physical activity. And one day he and I were talking and I said something about going to play racquetball. And he said, oh, I play racquetball. I said, you do? And I try not to look too surprised. Like, you're old. And you're, you know, <laughs> so you play racquetball? And, and he said, yeah. I said, it's been three or four years. My game's probably pretty rusty, but, but I'd like to go play racquetball. And I said, <laughs> okay, all right, we'll go play. So we get on the court, and I'm there, you know, I've, I've determined I'm not going to hurt him. I'm not going to embarrass him. And we started playing, and I never even saw the ball. He hit the ball harder than any person I have ever stepped on a racquetball court with. Plus, he never took a step. I was running all over the court. He just stood in the middle going, boom, boom. (laughs) And he totally thrashed me. I left that court beaten, humiliated, humbled, and aware that there was a whole new level of racquetball I had never seen before. Sometimes that experience needs to happen to us when we step into the court of worship. There are times when we need to leave this place thrashed, beaten, humiliated, and totally humbled, aware that there is a whole other level of living that we have yet to experience. Now, that's not the way we usually think about coming to worship. We think about coming to worship to be uplifted. We think about coming to worship for what it's going to do for us to have been here And we think about, well, we're going to go worship, and we're going to be encouraged, and we're going to see people, and we're going to leave with a song in our heart and sort of a spring in our step, and, and that's really good worship. Those of us who plan worship kind of fall into that trap as well. We think about, well, what can we do that the people will like? How can we do worship so that people will get something out of it? How can we do worship so they'll want to come back? 
And right now, we've got a lot of things going on in worship. We've got a way people are going to contemporary worship or emergent worship or praise services and trying to find ways so others will think, wow, that's really good. I like going to worship. It makes me feel good. Yet this little passage out of Isaiah reminds us that maybe that's not always what needs to happen in worship. That maybe when we step into this room and onto the court with God, that we just get blown away. That while we bring our lives that we think are somewhat together, and we bring our good intentions and our good motives, and then suddenly God shows up, And he starts showing us who he is. And we realize how far we fall short. And how little we are. And how we just don't really understand anything. And then we would limp away from here. Totally beaten. Humiliated. And humbled. That's what happened in Isaiah. God calls to Isaiah to go to preach at a time when church attendance was at its height. And if you notice that first part, I'm not going to go back and read all of that, but if you have your Bible, have it open, or you want to read it later today, just Isaiah 58. Notice that he calls to Isaiah to go and he says, Shout to the people, get their attention, lift up your voice like a trumpet, because they need to hear some things. Because the problem is, they think it's fun to go to worship. They are enjoying go to worship. He uses words like delight. That they come and they they just delight to get together and they think, wow, we're going to go and we're going to worship God and it's going to be really enjoyable. And once it's over, we're going to feel really good about who we are and good about ourselves and life's going to be good. He says, however, if you notice... They've sort of got some doubts in their mind. Because if you keep reading, when you get down to verses like 3 and 4 there, it says that the people do keep asking, though, you know, we go to church, we show up, but it just doesn't seem to be working for us. Why do we fast, worship, and you don't see us? God, we're showing up at church, And I don't know if you're noticing or not. Well, God answers that question in no uncertain terms. And what he says is this. The problem with your worship is that it's all about you. It's what you want. It's what you think will encourage you. You come thinking about what you want and what you want to get. And that's not what worship is all about. Worship is about showing up on the court with God and letting Him show you who He is. And that changes everything. The end of worship, the purpose of worship, is not so that I will enjoy it. It's to encounter God. 
and to be transformed in that encounter. He goes on to say, do you know what I really want? Do you know what I'm doing? Do you know who I am? And, he, and he, did you hear what he pointed out there? He says, here's the thing that, that, that the fast that I choose. I'm concerned about injustice. Are you? I'm concerned about letting the oppressed and those who are pushed down and those who are burdened. I'm concerned about setting them free. Are you? How much time do you give to that? I'm concerned about those who are hungry and sharing my bread with them. Are you? Is that what you're concerned about? This is what I'm doing. This is the game that I'm playing. When I see those who are homeless, I I seek to find them shelter. When I see those who are naked, I want ways to cover them. And I want you, I want you to go home and love your families. One of the most searing I keep going back to the racquetball thing, you know, seeing myself standing there and watching John Rascal serve, and I didn't even know where the ball went. You know, that's sort of like what happens right here. You know what you do, he says? He says, sometimes you go and you hide yourself from your own family. And I don't understand that. Why would you do that? What does it mean, hide yourself? Does it mean you go in your closet and shut the door and hope they can't find you? No, you know what it means. You just sort of remove yourself. And you go and you do what you want to do and fail to give them the nurture and the love and the attention that they deserve. God says, compare yourself to me and then see how you stack up. I've got one more story I want to share, and I've got to quit a little early today because we're going to pass out cards to you guys. I hope this isn't too self-serving, but it, it meant a lot to me. I've got a good friend named James, and James is fairly well-known. He grew up in Tyler, again, that's where we lived for a while, and uh, I knew him before then, but I got to know his parents there. They went to church with us, and I ended up preaching both of them's funeral, and James and I are about the same age. He's a little older than I am, but uh, we enjoy getting together and talking, and we just talk about everything, And, and we both enjoy steak, and neither one of us are supposed to eat much of it. But every time we get together, we go out and try to find a steak to eat or something, some red meat. We always kid each other about we're our red meat eating partners, you know. And, and so when we get together, we'll go out and we'll do that. And the other, not long ago, Pat and I met James and his wife, Carolyn, at Lawakey and pigged out. It was just wonderful. And James and I talk about everything. He likes The Simpsons. I don't know much about The Simpsons. But he likes to explain the Simpsons to me and what's going on with that. We both are big Longhorn fans, so you know he's a righteous man. And so we, we sit and we talk about the Longhorns. He's particularly into Longhorn basketball, which this is a good year to be into Longhorn basketball. But James is just a good guy. He's a good buddy, a good friend. He's also Dr. James Thompson. I don't know him that well, that like that so much. He's just sort of James to me. And he teaches at the Graduate School of Theology in Abilene Christian. Well, Tanner and I, my youngest son, have gotten into this habit of going to the Society of Biblical Literature, which is where all the brains go. And and they, for some reason, if the rest of us pay them some money, they let us come sit and listen to them talk. And it is just amazing to hear the scholars of the world all gathered together in that place. And we sit there and just sort of stargaze. Oh, look, there's N.T. Wright. 
You know, oh, look, there's John Hayes. Oh, look, there's Walter Brueggemann. You know, all these guys that we just, just think, wow, and there they are and all of that. Well, we went to this in Atlanta not long ago. And we're sitting at the back because we always sit at the back of the room because we're scared to death someone's going to ask us a question and find out how stupid we are. All right. So we're sitting at the back. Well, then and, and, and you know, you're in a good session when all the big boys start coming in, you know, all these names that, you know. And so we're sitting there and here in starts walking all these guys that, that are just our idols and our heroes. And the reason they were coming was because James Thompson was about to give a lecture. And James Thompson got up. James, my meat-eating buddy, you know, he gets up and he starts lecturing over the book of Hebrews. He's introduced as the world's foremost scholar on the book of Hebrews. And he gets up and he starts lecturing and all these guys are sitting there and they're shaking his and they ask questions and they give compliments. And after it's over, they start gathering around him and shaking his hand and saying, Dr. Thompson, I didn't understand that before you explained it. That was wonderful. Wow, you really did help us today. And I'm sitting back there going, wow, (laughs) look at this guy. He's known all over the world. And these guys think he's great. But the best part is that as he's leaving, he stops and shakes my hand and says, Hey, friend, thanks for being here. It meant a lot. The reason I tell you that story is that when we come to worship God, we ought to at times get beat up, humiliated, and realize how far we fall short of his glory. And it's in doing that that we really find what we desire. It's in doing that whenever we allow ourselves to compare ourselves to who he is and realize who we are. It is in doing that that we can actually leave this place because as we start to limp out of here realizing that we serve a great and mighty God, he takes our hand And says, thanks, friend. Thanks for being here. It meant a lot. Look at the end of this passage. He says, it's when you begin to come to worship, to encounter me and to be challenged. It's when you come to worship to be stretched. It's when you come to worship to be able to see where you are falling short. That's when it really starts working for you. He says, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and then your healing shall spring up quickly. And then I, your vindicator, will go before you and with you. The glory of the Lord shall protect you. Then you shall call upon the Lord, and then I will answer. When you call on my name, you will hear me say, here am I. So, as we come into this room, let us realize that we enter the court of God, the God of majesty, the God of glory, and we realize that we're not up to his level. And as we feel humiliated and humbled and thoroughly beaten, and as you get up and start to limp out of this room, 
realizing how inadequate you really are. Feel his hand take yours and say, but it was good to have you here because you're my friend and thanks for coming. And then as you leave, you will leave with the God of glory. Let's stand and sing.